Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, everyone. Vicki Vasilega here. Thanks for listening in to today's COVID-19 podcast. Today's feature podcast is from a COVID-19 webinar recorded earlier that you may have missed or may want to hear again. So let's listen in as our content matter experts share their experiences and recommendations for optimal patient care and operational strategies. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcasts. So um, now we're going to go to the uh, practice model implementation and adjustment. Michael. Thanks. So um, I think the main process change or adjustments that we uh, were looking at as uh, as we started to manage this crisis were uh, kind of organically materializing, I'll call it, from the discussions we were having about taking care of patients that we normally would um, in understanding or beginning to anticipate, okay, our referral sources are going to start asking us, can these patients come home? Can these patients uh, get the same medications they were getting in a, uh, you know, on a, on a uh, oncology uh, outpatient infusion center uh, and can we somehow operationalize the same practice uh, through home infusion? And um, in, a, in a general sense, that really was the structure in that, okay, what, what populations of patients uh, do we think are um, at, uh, the most vulnerable and would benefit the most from some sort of practice site or site of care? Um, uh, I don't want to say transition, but sort of a rethinking depending on, on their infusion uh, uh, sort of schedule. And you could look at it from a drug perspective. You could look at it from a disease state perspective. But what really mattered, it seems, as we went through each anecdote, is that it, the patient's place in therapy, their preference, and the capability of the medical system to uh, separate them from, um, you know, the, the risk associated with caring for COVID positive patients um, in an inpatient or acute care setting. Uh, and then having those specific cases referred um, as early as possible to um, home care group for uh, an assessment of, uh, uh, number one, um, safety of, of infusing the drug um, in the home, both from a, a USP 100 standpoint and from a, a sort of risk of, of adverse uh, reaction or some sort of infusion-related um, uh, sequelae. And then looking at it from a benefit perspective, um, you know, home infusion uh, in many cases is not a covered um, service by government payers, Medicare in particular. So understanding the payer landscape and our ability to uh, navigate around or through that um, to get patients transition to home infusion, uh, and then understanding the patient's preference. Are they, is there something else going on when they're going into the infusion centers that um, it, the, the sort of utility, I'll call it, of, of transitioning their care to home infusion uh, isn't kind of worth the additional um, hurdles that would need to be surmounted 
Um, or is it that the patient is immune compromised and they live, you know, uh, you know, a hundred miles away from the infusion center and due to travel restrictions and um, the nature of their disease state and the specific uh, oncologic agent that they're on, um, does it make sense to send the nurse out uh, to administer the drug? Um, and coupling that with those um, visit and treatment protocols that we discussed previously, how do we get them fit into and timed appropriately to um, effectively treat them um, in a most clinically appropriate uh, manner? So um, all of those were the sort of general questions that uh, arose and were, were thought about sort of systematically, um, but were addressed uh, on a case-by-case basis. Um, and, um, you know, we didn't, in many aspects, we didn't proactively go to say, hey, do you want home infusion versus coming into the clinic? The physician and patients were having those conversations, understanding that the Hopkins Home Care Group was right there, ready to support whatever decision was being made kind of at the at the chair bedside. Um, we have embedded discharge planners, home care coordinators, um, really uh, embedded folks from our home care division in the acute care setting um, that um, help uh, those decisions uh, to be made and, and help inform those discussions. So those were um, definitely assets as we uh, as we try as we uh, work through practice model adjustments and implementation. Um, we mainly most of what we administered wasn't uh, hazardous. We we started using closed system transfer devices uh, recently, um, and in those instances where uh, USP eight hundred was a factor, which now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I don't believe there were any specific cases. We would we actually routed the patient to one of our uh, ambulance for infusion suites. So, um, and using our electronic medical record to its full capability uh, was something that uh, we, we we leveraged and we created assessments and, and screening protocols uh, associated with that to to affect um, scheduling uh, or to optimize scheduling decisions. I'm going to take it, Danny. Yeah, and I'll just kind of echo what you said, Michael. Um, I think definitely that the biggest struggle for us being an infusion suite um, and trying to work with our patients that we identified that may be good candidates for home infusion based on their, their risk factors, that the driving factor and kind of the, the rate limiting step there was really working with payers. Um, so a lot of our financial team and, and a lot of our authorization team worked really hard to coordinate um, with our vendor that does our, our home health um, and also worked uh, to see if we could secure appeals or um, exceptions uh, to do home health and to do home infusions um, as a different side of care for these patients. So it, it was definitely a struggle. We have a very large Medicare population. So a lot of our patients, we couldn't get to meet that. Um, so our pharmacist and, and, like I said, our medication access team worked really hard to try and find exceptions and, and opportunities where we could. Um, it, it was still very challenging. So a lot of what we were left with was then trying to figure out the safest way that we could provide those patients um, their infusions on campus in suite um, since we couldn't necessarily maybe get all of them signed up for home infusion. Um, so like I said, earlier, really trying to coordinate when we brought them in. Um, I know a lot of grocery stores and shopping places 
you know, brought um, elderly individuals or, or had uh, different hours to bring them in. So we started following on some of those in addition to scheduling our immunocompromised, like I said, in different blocks than our non-immunocompromised patients um, and putting extra steps in place that we kind of ended up leading the way to the hospital where they started implementing checkpoints um, in their various clinics and some of their outlying areas um, outside of the hospital, um, just seeing what we were doing um, with the infusion center. So it, it was kind of nice to see us lead the way and, and being a little more proactive, especially with um, some of our, our restrictions and also um, using masks. But it definitely was a challenge not to be able to get all of the patients that we identified switched over to home infusion. Okay. Well, I, as both a practitioner and the mother of a, a daughter that is a home infusion patient, um, I will say that her infusions went off without a hitch. We didn't have any problems at all. And um, I think that, um, you know, in general, everybody did a great job. So um, we're going to talk about outcomes and sustainability. Michael? Yeah, sure. Um, so... The outcomes that we're continuing to monitor and, and identified as uh, sort of benchmarks of success for, for us as we uh, kind of waded through uh, the crisis and the, and the resulting response, are we, um, from a revenue perspective, continuing the same, um, and from a business model perspective, continuing the same level of uh, volume and productivity that um, we we were prior to um, the uh, crisis, and if not, identifying the specific um, uh, drivers for, for why that might, might not be. Um, fortunately, it seems that, um, as I discussed earlier, we're, we kind of, we haven't missed a beat. Um, in fact, our uh, volumes and, and um, revenue seems to have uh, increased um, to some degree. Um, I have a feeling that uh, as we continue to, to analyze um, financial numbers, we're going to see that costs have been sold. I'm, sh I'm sure uh, has increased given the influx of uh, or the uh, sort of uh, emergent needs of supplies and um, some of the uh, operational expenses associated with uh, switching to or switching the, the workforce to a, a remote. Um, remote capability. Um, fortunately, we haven't laid anyone off within um, Home Care Group. We um, are uh, implementing um, some uh, mandatory PTO policies, meaning um, there's spend down um, initiatives going on for uh, paid time off and vacation, et cetera. So uh, certainly encouraging that among the teams and, and um, being able to maximize that and balance the, the needs of the business around um, around those mandates is, is a, a you know a, a metric for for my department in particular. Um, clinically, we're we're monitoring, continuing to monitor um, readmissions, uh, infection status. Um, you know, we've always uh, monitored central line infections, uh, which you know obviously isn't a, a COVID issue, but um, is definitely a clinical outcome that uh, we can sort of piggyback off of uh, for the management of, of COVID positive or, or at-risk um, populations. Um, clinically maintaining sort of status quo of patients' clinical status if they are transitioning from an acute care setting to 
uh, home infusion on, on products that we hadn't initially um, sort of uh, infused or had normally typically infused in the home. We're, we're keeping a close eye on, on uh, those patients and continuing to, to monitor them. So I believe we've got um, several outcomes that uh, we're looking uh, to continue to monitor new ones that are are uh, being formulated. And um, I think over this, this coming summer, um, we should be able to uh, really capture and analyze um, some of those benchmarks. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just piggyback on that to say, I think like everybody, our administration and C-suite really put us under the microscope um, as it relates to metrics, whether those are clinical, cost savings, patient satisfaction, as everybody's kind of digging in, um, especially financially, to, to see kind of what the impact of this was. Um, it was interesting to me to see one of the metrics we look at um, that I kind of equate to adherence, but more, you know, no-show rates and patients that we schedule. Everyone being home and on travel restriction, we actually saw an improvement in a lot of our metrics um, centered around patients not no-showing or being able to get a hold of them to schedule appointments and follow up. Um, so even though we saw a decrease in the volume, the volume we did see um, was optimized, um, to kind of put it in that way. And um, when we look at our disease-specific clinical metrics that were being monitored, we worked closely with our prescribers um, and our infusion center pharmacists to look at ways that we could provide more sustainable outcomes to them. We obviously had to report monthly revenue and budgets as those were monitored very closely. So we really dug into our cost savings measurements for patients and looked at how we were providing copay assistance, um, what we were doing for free drug access and foundation enrollment, um, and took a lot of those metrics to show value, um, even though our volumes were down. Um, and then specifically looking at patient satisfaction, uh, we look at our press Ganey surveys, um, and we saw those shoot through the roof. And, and all I can attribute that to is just the amount of transparency and collaboration and communication that we did with patients both on the front end and, and then while we were all going through this together, um, just to make sure we were getting their feedback and we were trying to find out if things that we were doing to protect them and, and ensure their safety and also make sure they were still getting their treatments, um, you know, aligned with what they wanted. And overwhelmingly, they gave us great feedback, but we got great feedback um, as far as what the team was implementing as well. Thank you for listening in today. For more information, please be sure to check out the ASHP COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org backslash COVID-19. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.